Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luer, and today we're going truly to the other side of the planet, all the way to Sao Paulo, Brazil, to welcome my good buddy, Frederico Pena. Welcome to the podcast, Fred. Thank you, Marcus. It's a tremendous pleasure uh, to be here and chat with you for uh, some time this morning. Definitely, I, you know, and we know each other for a long time. I was even at your wedding in Bella Horizonte many years ago. We watched some football together. Actually, I think that was at the same time it was a World Cup qualification match between uh, Argentina and Brazil in Brazil. It was amazing, of course, to, to see and witness that. And uh, again, you are another one of those uh, friends we have around the world where you know, you've had an incredible career. You operate in a very exciting and interesting space. A, Brazil, of course, the country where really the football stars are being born every day. And you've been very heavily involved. So we're going to really dig deep into the world of football, soccer here. But you've also worked with a very unique agency, which, again, many people in our industry would know and would have at least heard of um, anyone who ever dealt with football out of Brazil, which is traffic. So we're going to cover all those things of your career, the things you've done on your own as an entrepreneur, and, of course, the roles you've played, uh, as I said, with one of the biggest agencies in that part of the world there. So uh, it's going to be fun and a fun hour here. Uh, and as, always, as we always do, we start right at the beginning, a little bit about, you know, coming out of Wharton School and your first job was the Mueller Sports Group, um, which obviously links also to a gentleman who was just recently on my podcast, Mr. Jeff Slack, who I believe was your actually your first boss there. So how do you come out yeah. of Wharton and land the Mueller Sports <laughs> Group gig? Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's an interesting story. So I grew up in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, and I moved to the United States to go to boarding school. And um, after boarding school, I went to Wharton undergrad, graduated in finance. So I was living in the U.S. for uh, six years. Mm -hmm. And I was I wanted to come back to Brazil because obviously at that time, you know, growing up in in the 90s abroad, it's not like today. There's no Internet. Right. So I was looking for a job and graduating in finance, it, it was normal to try to go work for uh, investment banks at the time. Right. But in 1996, which was my sophomore year of college, I watched a movie that changed my life. And that movie is Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah, we so, have, I like that one too. <laughs> yeah. So that was when I, when I saw that from, from the opening scene, I said, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what That's I want to cool. do. Right. And I have to find a way to become a sports agent. And, and, and really my idea, you know, living in the United States and I've always been a great fan of NBA and NFL and the American sports and the way of Americans dealing with sports. I said, you know, I have to try to take that to Brazil and do that mm. with, you know, our football because right. we have the best football in the world, right? We're Brazilians. Absolutely. And at the time, Brazil was actually the World Cup winner having just won the 1994 World Cup in Brazil, right. which was the first time since 1970. So, you know, we had the best player in the world, Romario at the time. And you could just, uh, you, could just you know, living in the United States, seeing all the yeah. sports marketing, the endorsements. Winning it in. Yeah, winning it in the U.S., that's right. I was yeah. at the and final. You, Damn, I was there watching it. I watched <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, that was, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable event, you know, for... Exactly. I was I was 18 years old at the time, so you can you can imagine being 18 in Brazil winning the World Cup. So, you know, so all you know from that point on, throughout college, my objective was how do I get into the sports 
marketing world. How do I become a, an agent? And, you know, it's very difficult, again, because there's no internet. It's not like today you go into to the company's website and you know the stories and you go to, you know, Wikipedia and you find out everything about everyone, right? Yep. So yep. I actually uh, worked for uh, Bank Boston in Brazil for a couple of years for, as a summer intern. And I was hired by an investment bank called uh, Garantia, which was the biggest investment bank of Brazil at the time. And it was, mm -hmm. it had just been acquired by Credit Suisse First Boston. And about two months before my graduation, I went to an event in New York, which was an, a two-day event for people who wanted to go into the world of sports. Oh. And one of the speakers at the event was Jeff Slack. Right. And he had been working for the Mueller Sports Group at the time, which was a, a small sports marketing agency in New York, uh, yeah. owned by Roberto Mueller, who was you know, uh, um, someone, a veteran in the um, in the world Uruguay, of sports, right? yeah. exactly, Uruguayan. And Jeff had a very fancy title, which I've made fun of him forever, which was, uh, you know, director of European super clubs, something like this, which that's how okay. he was introduced at the event. Now, right. this is an event for Americans. And obviously, I'm not interested in working with American sports. I'm interested in working with soccer. Which, yeah. you know, very difficult at the time. But and he was the only one at the event that had any connection with soccer. So uh, after he spoke, I went over, introduced myself. Uh, he was very, you know, he's, he was very nice. And he uh, uh, he took my CV and I sent him an email and I followed up with I had one, you know, recruiting trip to an investment bank in New York. And I stopped by to say hello. So he was very nice. And it just so happened that uh, the Mueller Sports Group was involved with a private equity fund at the time called Hicks, Muse, State and First. Right. Uh, and this private equity fund was doing a big investment in Latin America, buying cable companies, setting up uh, sports TV, Pan, uh, Pan American sports TV network, yeah. buying sports marketing agencies and buying uh, football clubs. Yeah. So and the management affiliate of Hicks, Muse was the Mueller Sports Group. And this was all happening at the same time. And then suddenly one day I'm, I'm about to graduate and come back to Brazil and start working for a boring uh, investment bank. And Jeff calls me up and says, can you come to New York? I want to talk to you about a project of ours. And I said, uh, yes, absolutely. I, I was actually, this is funny, Mark. I, I was in Hawaii. All right. Okay. The day he called me, because I had uh, I had uh, like a post graduation trip to Hawaii uh, uh, set up, and I said, "Well, I'm in Hawaii right now, but I'll be back in Philadelphia in a couple of days, and, and I can I'll take the train up to New York, and we can talk." And that's how it all started. We 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 talked, and and obviously I had uh, read up everything that was happening in Brazil, and I made the connections between you know what was what was going on and Hicks Muse and the Mueller Sports Group and. Uh, he just said, "Okay, you're you're hired," and he. I started I started working the following week, so it was all very sudden. I I actually had to call the investment bank that I was going to work for and 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 quit before I even started, which was uh, funny. So I was very I was very I was very fortunate. It was the the timing was just right, you know, because if you. If I had never gone to that event, then I then my my life story would have been completely different. Absolutely. And the part I like, again, just to add to it and give a little of a heads up already, of course, Jeff now is your partner in your current agency yep. as your chairman. Um, so, again, I love that. You know, this is how you started and this is where you are now, you know, 20 years later. So, but we'll come back to that, of course, later. Now, 
if we, you know, we covered a little bit already when, with Jeff on PSN, um, but I'd love to hear a little, just quickly, your thoughts on it, because it was a fairly short-lived uh, affair with them, right? I think you were with them less than a year. What happened there? Was it, um, did you leave before it all blew up, or it then blew up, and then you uh, you, you moved on, or, or what happened there? Yeah, so what happened on, I actually did not work with Jeff on the PSN project. Uh, in the beginning, what we did is, we worked on our first job, actually, what, and then, you know, obviously one of the companies that Hicks Muse was buying for this platform was Traffic Sports in Brazil. Oh, they were so looking to buy Traffic as well. Okay, they did buy that. it. They did buy it. Oh, they, they did bought, buy it, actually. They, right. they, bought okay. 49, they, they bought 49% of Traffic. Right. So that's, right. that's how I, I end up at Traffic afterwards. Yeah, but so, okay. so, so, so when I start with Jeff, we're, we're still going through the, the, the mm -hmm. due diligence of buying traffic. So right, right. It, it was good because I, you know, what I had to do is I actually had to review all the contracts of traffic, all the contracts of traffic nice. either okay. on the buy side and the sell side. Yep. yep so yep. In about, in, so in about two months, I knew everything about the company and what they were doing and how much, you know, what, what were the, how much they were paying for the rights? What was the revenue? So at, I had at least you thought you knew at that time, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right on. Uh, and then when we actually started, because then Hicks News bought uh, Corinthians and Cruzeiro, which are two big clubs in, in Brazil. That was part yeah. of the, the platform. They were going to buy more clubs. And then, you know, Globo in Brazil had uh, the government change the law to actually mm. stop Hicks News and ISL at the time. Uh, of buying all all these clubs because Global yeah, was right. was afraid of losing the, the the TV rights for the for the Brazilian league. Mm -hmm. um, so we were because we had Corinthians and Cruzeiro, uh, Jeff and I we were in charge of sponsorship sales. So we were traveling back and forth. We were actually one week in Brazil, one week in New York, for about three months until we sold the the shirt sponsorship of of Corinthians to Pepsi, which was a great. Okay. You know, which was a great deal. It was, uh, it was yeah. probably one of the one of the best deals of during the this Hicks uh, Muse time. And this is all in and in parallel, Hicks Muse was setting up PSN. I never got to work with PSN. Obviously, I knew I everything that was going on, and a lot of the negotiations in the buying of rights of PSN had you know traffic and torneos y competencias in Argentina involved. So. I, I kind of heard about it and I, I knew what was going on, but I wasn't working on that. I was working more closely with Jeff on the clubs, on the traffic due diligence. And then after about a little under a year, uh, Mr. Hawila, who's the owner of traffic, and he, you know, he sold 49% to, to Hicks Muse and he, and he kept 51%. Uh, he had a controlling stake. He invited me to come work uh, for traffic. And I... Accepted. Uh, Jeff was going to PSN.com. Uh, I was more interested. We had just completed the the, the sale of the of the sponsorship to to Pepsi, which was mm. which was a good. So it was a good, you know, it was a feeling of we had uh, we had a mission and we accomplished it. Uh, I was looking to move uh, back to Brazil. Jeff understood it. Uh, Roberto Mueller understood it. And, and Mr. Havila, I was actually I, I actually felt like a player who was being dealt because you know before I could accept coming back to to brazil to come work for traffic mr Hawila had to speak with roberto miller 
to make sure that Roberta Miller was okay with me moving to oh, from right. from from the Miller Sports Group to to traffic. Oh, so it was that's a, a good. That was a, I, I like that. That's a that's a really you have a fairly big start into the into the industry here. This isn't yeah. just some small little stuff here. I love this. Uh, yeah. Now the part which is interesting, uh, and and I again you know we're jumping a bit ahead as usual, but uh, now when if I remember, uh, and this is sort of anecdotally, I met Mr. Havila as well. I remember when when we were there uh, and we were obviously doing business with you guys. There was some story about how he bought the agency back, um, you know, from mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. know, at the yeah. time then, where in between of that transaction, he made a ton of money, right? I mean, it yeah. was something yeah. like $100 million because of he bought, he was sold it for 150 and he bought it back for 50 or something like that. I yeah. mean, it, what, yeah. what were the numbers exactly? Just Well, just roughly? What, what, what happened was he sold 49% at the time, I, I think for $125 million dollars. Right. Uh, plus an injection of capital in, in, in the company. Right. Uh, and then what happened was it was actually the internet bubble burst in right. 2000. This deal was 1999. Right. So, right. And, then, and then the year after the internet bubble, uh, there was the internet right. failure. And apparently Hicks News had a lot of bad internet assets. Okay. So it really hit them as a fund. And obviously, when you know when when you're doing everything, and it's such a big part. You, you imagine that you you you're buying, you're not a, you 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 you're buying clubs, you're buying sports marketing agencies, you're buy you're setting up Penn Regional TV yeah, channel shows. from zero, yep. from yep. zero, and you and you have the cable operators. So I mean, it's a huge project, and you're doing this yeah. at a very quick pace. So. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of mistakes are you know made, and yeah. I don't know the the details, but because of the what I understand is because of the internet problems, Hicks News just ran out of money, mm. or they ran out of credibility to raise money, and they just said, okay, let's just get out of it. And when they and, and obviously they 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 kind of selected which uh, assets they wanted uh, to keep, and I think then then they rolled everything up and they sold to Fox. This PSN kind of became Fox Sports in Latin America, right? right. Uh, and it, part of that deal, Traffic had when when Traffic was bought, Traffic had a joint venture with Torneos y Competencias called TNT, which was Traffic yeah, and Torneos. Right. Correct. So, Correct. and that company held very important rights, which were the TV rights for Copa Libertadores and at the time Copa Mercosul. Right. which were the, let's say, the tier one and tier two continental competitions yeah. in South America. So, so yeah. that, was, that was really the key asset that PSN needed for it mm. to be worth something for them to be sold to, to News Corporation, right? right? So in the deal, what uh, Mr. Hawila did is he actually said, okay, I'll give up, my, my, I'll give up traffic's 50% stake in the joint venture TNT and you give me back the 49% of traffic that will not have the 50% of, of TNT anymore. Mm. And he had a company also in the United States, which at the time was called Inter Forever Sports and later on became uh, Traffic Sports USA, but at the time Inter Forever. And he gave up Inter Forever as well. So he just kind of, he took a step back. He retook control of something that what that was smaller than what he uh, once had had, but he was $125 million richer because yeah, he had sold 49%. Well, so that's what no, he was, he was a genius, Marcus. I mean, he was, he was a great uh, deal maker. 
And actually, the, 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 the best move he had is he actually took the proceeds of, of that sale and uh, he bought uh, a TV networks in Brazil. That's right. Which, That's right. you know, now, now are the big assets of, of, of his family and it, it kind of changed their life. So he was, he, was, he was very smart. He was thinking, you know, five, six moves ahead and he did, he did a great deal. But it was, you know, it, it wasn't something that he had planned. It was, it was really because of the crisis in Hicks Muse that opportunity, that opportunity yeah. presented uh, to himself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you're right. I uh, yeah, met him, obviously, a, a great gentleman um, and definitely very sl- clever. And, and fair enough, you know, he, he saw the opportunity and he took it, which is great. So now let's uh, let's dig a bit around, you know, your role in, in traffic there in the early days. So mm-hmm. this is early 2000 here. We now, um, I think you were director of Internet uh, for a while and then you moved into the TV space, right? So let's mm-hmm. just, just talk us a bit through this because – Around that time, and I don't know exactly the exact date, but uh, it was in the early 2000s, we came across each other too. Um, and obviously, yeah. we did a deal where TSA, in this case, was representing the traffic rights in uh, in Asia. Um, and, I, and I want to talk a bit about that in a minute. But I, first, I want to hear a little bit more exactly you, what you were doing there at the early days. And then we'll, we'll have a little TSA story here in the middle. Yeah. So what happened was when I first arrived at traffic – uh, this was before the the internet bubble, so you know I was young, and internet is something of the young people for the young people. So obviously I'm I'm put in charge of internet because yeah. <laughs> traffic and traffic, you know. And it was a time in which when you had the media rights, internet was just in there, even though no one really understood what what these rights were. Yep. So we created a uh, website in Brazil called the NetGoal. Uh, NetGo had a so it was a database of uh, football games and football players, okay. and it had video clips of goals, right. okay. and it had uh, ed, an editorial line. So it, it was like it was a big uh, soccer, or, you know, football. Let's call it football because you know yeah. we're not in the United right, States. Sort yeah. of the the so words it, we were using at that time. It was a portal, and this was good because I'm working on this in Brazil, and Jeff is in charge of PSN.com. And actually what happened was three, four months later, PSN makes an offer to traffic to buy net. Now, you know, and Howila, the good negotiator he is and the poker player he is, refuses to sell because he, you know, he's the kind of guy, you know, if someone wants to buy, then you don't want to sell. So, which was, which was the wrong decision at the time, because, you know, after, uh, some months it actually, you know, the, the whole thing blew up and, blew up. and net goal, we actually had to shut down net goal as well. Cause it, yeah. we just couldn't make any money off of yeah, it. Yeah. We just realized this is not going, uh, anywhere, but I those. did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I did that for about, you know, six, six months or, or a year, but, uh, it, it wasn't really. We just. I could quickly see that wasn't going anywhere. Mm. Uh, and uh, Mr. Howila as well. So he said, "Well, I want to take the sales of TV rights in house because mm. at the time, what Traffic did is Traffic had a big umbrella deal with IMG, and IMG was in charge of selling the TV rights of Traffic all over the world. Globally, oh, not okay. as an agency, but well, they were commissioned, but they had a minimum guarantee." Right. Sure. So they were the ones selling all the South American tournaments all over the world uh, for traffic. Right. All the traffic did was sell in South America, which right. was, you know, maybe 
90% of the revenues at the time. And we yeah. saw there's, there's more potential to bring in money from uh, the rest of the world. And, and, and when we set that up and we had a CEO at the time, Marcelo Millier, you obviously remember yes. him. Absolutely, uh, myself. And he said, okay, let's go, let's go piece by piece. So, so first we broke it off with IMG and mm -hmm. we said, okay, let's focus in Europe because that's where, uh, you know, there's going to be yeah, more interest. Bigger money because is. Of, yeah, because, and because of the South American players go to Europe yep. and they play there. So obviously there's a connection, not only with Brazil, but Argentina and Uruguay. And yeah. let's find solutions for the rest of the world. And I think that's when we met. Uh, we met that's at nice. a Sportel, I think. And, and we hit it off and we saw you as, as an agency who would really put their heart and hard work uh, on developing these, uh, these assets. I remember you had the good, uh, the, the great uh, uh, history with uh, WWE. And yep. we saw that as, you know, we need uh, people like uh, TSA and Marcus to really, you know, believe in the product and build it up. And that's when we did the partnership for the for the TV distribution in Asia, right? Yeah. That's absolutely true. And, and, and the part which I, I wanted to add to it, which, you know, is sort of the, the part which I have vividly in my mind is um, as, as great as an asset it was, the, let's call it in general, Latin American football or, or South American football, didn't have the world's greatest reputation in our part of the world, and and I didn't, and I, I can't comment on on other parts of the world, but for sure, mm -hmm. you know, when we were talking to broadcasters, it was always a couple of things which came up, and you might remember that you know these conversations. It was always the schedule always changes, you know, yeah, the last yeah, minute, yeah. last minute, uh, the signal doesn't show up, this gets dropped, that yeah, gets dropped, yeah. and so we were, and this is us as a team, you you know, your your traffic on your end and, and us on our side, we were, I think, we spent. A lot of time just reaffirming broadcasters this will be different you know we are here to hold your hand we're gonna have people on the ground we're gonna have we will monitor the satellite signals and all this stuff and it was sort of now you think of it as just basic right but I think that was really what it took at the time to somewhat also put a bit of our own reputation on the line you know people knew us from WWE or others which again is very different content but you know and therefore different different challenges with delivery and that worked at the end of the day you know I think we all did, did some good business there had some good deals um, in the region, you know, Copa America, of course, was you know, part of the big one. Um, but that was, I think it was, it's an interesting example, again, of what a lot of times what it takes to, you know, which everyone would think, oh, it's a great product, but it had a reputational challenge, right? Do you remember that? Yeah, and, I, and it was a great project for me personally, because we had to kind of rebrand the whole thing, right? We were Correct. doing pre-match reports, post-match reports. And we were, you know, we were forcing the Comebol, which is the South American Federation, to, yep. you know, to try to schedule the, the, the games ahead of time, telling them how important it was to promote the game, you know, abroad. Good. And we had the English uh, audio guide, which we didn't yeah. have before. Uh, right. And the graphs on the matches with, you know, and the and, and, and a full. So providing the broadcasters and the commentators with with what was going on i mean what what is the what is the context right. of this game what what are the you know who are these players who are these coaches so you know preparing this and i was the one we obviously had very little budget for this but i so it, it was something that fell on my shoulders and i was and i was very proud of it because i knew it was a long-term project and i think you know you did a, a great job we did a deal with yeah, uh, Eurosports in europe to, that was a low it was little money but we wanted to have it all over europe 
uh, so that people were more familiar with the South American football. And I think it, it paid off because even though I wasn't in this division anymore, but I saw, you know, how much money traffic was bringing in from these international rights. And it all started back in, this is, I think, 2001, when we, you know, started this from zero. Because before, what IMG was doing is IMG was basically packaging these rights with, you know, a bunch of other stuff they yeah, had. Yeah, correct. Uh, and they were, you know, assigning it a value that would, you know, basically cover the minimum guarantee that they had agreed with traffic. They would put uh, no efforts in developing the, the, the brand. They would, you know, do, they wouldn't add anything to the TV production. I remember some broadcasters saying, okay, but which, uh, you know, where do I get that? Where, where am I going to get the feed? You know, which satellite in, in South America? And I remember we even did the deal with uh, one of those, those global satellite companies to, you know, to have the feed everywhere sure. in the world. So, you know, it could be any. The, the, yeah, there's the, a lot the of work went into this. Pay, right? Absolutely. They didn't have to pay for the signal. Yeah. So uh, it, it was a great it was a great job. And uh, it was it was a fun time. And, and TSA worked very was. hard as well. Yeah, and, and, and again, the uh, I think the part about selling it as an individual product um, that is also I think you know you know like every agency you you do bundle things here and there, but uh, we didn't have that much other footballs. So for us, it mm -hmm. was clearly a bit of a standalone product, um, which is the way we position it. And and you know, and on the back of it, I think we, we were able really to drive the value up. But I remember a couple of deals were were nice and juicy ones there. So now from then, obviously, you know, you moved on as well. You moved into the, the sort of uh, commercial side, sponsorship side. Uh, and we ended up doing some more business there, which we'll, I want to talk about a bit now. So, um, so you know, after you know, your TV world, you know, you started to do work in sponsorship. And I think it was linked to the Copa America in 2004, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, remember the beginning of the story, uh, Marcus. I, I want to be a sports agent. Right. And right. I'm, I'm not getting close to being an agent here. I'm, <laughs> right, right. I'm working on, you know, sponsors, you know, selling the Corinthians shirt deal, you know, working on Internet portal and TV rights and all. But I want to be more involved in the game. I want to be speaking with, you know, football directors. I want to be dealing with yeah. players. This is where players. I want to get. So right, right, right. what happened there at the time was there was a change within traffic sports that, um, Mr. Hawila had a right-hand man uh, named uh, Rui Brizola, who uh, unfortunately passed away uh, quite young. Uh, he had a he had a sudden stroke and he passed away. And hired to replace him was a former president of Flamengo, which is the biggest mm -hmm. club in Brazil. Yep. Uh, Mr. Kleber Leite, uh, who is a veteran in the Brazilian uh, sports marketing industry as well. But what happened was he had his own company. And when he became the president of Flamengo, he had to basically give up his sports marketing uh, company to be the club's president. So mm. when his time left, he was invited by, uh, by Mr. Hawila and he became the commercial vice president in charge of, you know, all sponsorship sales. Right. So I, I saw that move. He was someone who was very connected to the game and, you know, and, and to sports mm. decision and. And I yep. said, well, I, you know, I want to work for that guy because I think that guy is going to give me the relationships to end up where I want to be. Right. So, yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then again, you know, you hear this all the time. And this is a business in which, you know, the key is personal relationships. Right. So yep. I step out of TV rights uh, sales, uh, which and my job was finished as well. And I started working for in sponsorship sales. So that was my first move. And we actually set up 
a part of a new division in the company, which was to bring sponsorship opportunities for uh, football players, for Brazilian football players. And this uh, was because uh, Mr. Kleber Leite had so many connections with uh, Brazilian agents mm-hmm. that he said, well, this is going to be easy because the agents don't do any of this. Right. We'll just bring them in. We'll just I tell just them, look, we want to... We want to represent your client just for sponsorship deal. This is not going to, uh, this is not competition to you. Uh, would you like this uh, to happen? And obviously, all the agents were happy because they said, you know, this is one part that we don't do. We don't provide our clients with the service. It's going to be additional revenue if anything uh, comes on. And uh, we were very fortunate because one of the first deals we did was with uh, Ronaldo. And this mm-hmm. is already 2002. So Brazil is again world champion. Yeah. And Ronaldo was the best player in the world. And he had just, yeah. uh, he had just been the top scorer in the, in the World Cup. And he had scored uh, two goals against uh, your beloved Germany in the final. So <laughs> this is suddenly, you know, me representing the best player in the world for sponsorship rights. Now, I'm not, I'm not his agent yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm getting pretty close. So that was the switch. And I remember, and we worked with uh, TSA uh, uh, as well in trying to uh, get uh, Ronaldo sponsorship. Uh, you probably remember this. We did a big trip in, in Asia, and we met in, in Kuala Lumpur at the time, and we, we right. visited uh, some, some clients with, with TSA. Yeah. And in they the meantime, it was, it was not it. O- only working with Ronaldo, but also you know, for, the, for the tournament, so getting sponsors yeah. for, for Copa America and the World Cup qualifiers. So it was... It was it was a good feeling because we were selling important stuff, more important than the TV rights. I think was was the sponsorship rights for these uh, properties. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Now I just realized you should have me every time Brazil is in a World Cup final. I should be in the stadium because the two <laughs> exactly. I was there because I was we'll there in 2002 as well. You both won. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm just glad I left Brazil when at the last World <laughs> Cup right in time. I was there for the quarterfinal. And I left. And then you the left. Oh, that's okay. So that's now we know where it all okay. went down. Uh, down exactly. Right no. yeah. uh, and we won't yeah. go there. <laughs> good but, story. Uh, good story. <laughs> it is a good story. Now, but coming back to the more serious side of it here, and that is obviously how we work together on, on the Copa America and, uh, and then bringing LG Electronics into it. Uh, which mm-hmm. a was the first time for I think a big big Korean firm to get involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. again, similar to the story earlier, we spent a lot of time working together and massaging both sides of it, right, um, mm-hmm. to get a deal done. So uh, you, you remember that that part as well, right? Yeah, that was a great deal. I'm very proud of it. It's one of the highlights. I told you before, one of the highlights of my career, and it it started. You know, we brought in LG. Uh, electronics for the 2004 Copa America, which was going to be Correct. played in, in Peru. That's right. And from there, I think they renewed that deal a couple of times and they became big sponsors because they signed up for the World Cup uh, qualifiers as well, which was a big mm-hmm. package because then you had, you know, like a, a, a league format, all 10 countries of South America playing each other home and away. So that was 18 match dates and they signed up for that. And I think the pre-Olympic tournament that was played in Chile as well. So that was it was a big relationship. Uh, those guys were, you know, were great guys. I mean, they had a great vision, and it was it was awesome. 
It was it yeah, was really it was, and it was interesting again. It was I think the first time really for LG to take on football at that level. Um yeah. though obviously Samsung and others who were already in football or in, in the Olympics, but LG hadn't really uh, you know, we're not that heavily involved yet. So uh, yeah, it was a it was a good one there. And again, I remember yeah, Peru is where the, exactly that's where the, the host country was, and, and and that's not an easy market in the first place. Again, right? It was a, it was a lot of we, we were. I know we we're dealing with LG in Peru as well, or you probably were dealing with them, and we were dealing, of course, with the guys in Korea. And uh, and again, that's the learning of it is that it's always a tag team approach, right? You really need to get the the regional or it's called global guys excited and, mm -hmm. and seeing the big picture because some of the budget would come from there and then of course you need the local guy as well to go i like this i want this right it will be good for us too and i think that was again the tag team approach here right yeah and you you become very proud when you go into a, a store and you see uh, and you see an lg tv with the highlights of cop america because they're you yeah. know that's you know they're really pushing the, the property there, like the asset, they're making it bigger. And they were very professional. They had a lot of knowledge. I mean, the, you know, what, what you guys brought to the table. And then Hyundai, Hyundai signed right after that because I think, right. you know, LG signing kind of gave us the credibility to get Hyundai as well. And, and so it was a, it was a great experience. Uh, I, I remember one very funny story in the, in the draw for the Copa America, which was in Lima, and, right. and Lima has a microclimate situation, which it, it very rarely rains right. in Lima. And the, so the setting for the draw was outdoors. And I remember these guys from LG, these like three Korean guys asking me, what if it rains? And we're saying, well, don't worry, it's not going to rain. And they're saying, okay, but what if it rains? And we, you know, we went over this about five times. Well, it's not going to rain. Well, what if it rains? Well, it's not going to rain. And you know, this is th these are, you know, fun stories. And this is the kind of, you know, you see the professionalism coming from them. And, and, and this is this was kind of eye opening to us on how to treat uh, sponsors, what, what, you know, what kind of work we have to do around it. And, and this really started us. We did the uh, a sponsorship summit. Uh, in Miami, uh, yeah, that's uh, right. before, so we were, you know, we were. Th this was a time which was very innovative at traffic, and I was, you know, in charge of it, and and it was a very fun time, and and it was successful time, and you were part of this. So, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> thank you for of, that, Marcus. A lot of fun uh, stories there to share here. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I want to move on then a bit into now, you know. Very shortly after that, you then left um, and you mm -hmm. started your own agency, right? Fabrica Sports Agency. Um, what was the trigger point? Because it obviously then finally got to where you wanted to be, right? You became yeah, exactly. a player agent, mm -hmm. a FIFA player mm -hmm. agent, you know. Um, so what was the what, – what triggered the jump and, uh, and just the, the transition there? Yeah, so there's a cycle in football, right? You, you all think in, in four-year terms because of the World Cup. So yeah. – 2004 was the Copa America, and 2004 was the pre-Olympic tournament as well. In 2005, the World Cup qualifiers for 2006 yeah. wrapped up. So by the end of 2005, I had, you know, and with because we had set up a, a new division at the time called Traffic Talentos, which was we were dealing with, you know, Ronaldo, and then we had signed up Robinho, we had signed up Luis Fabiano, who was, you know, a striker for Sao Paulo, who later played for Sevilla. We signed up... Uh, Carlos Alberto Pereira, which was the manager of the Brazil national team. So we had all these these right. assets, and I had already the connections with all these guys. I felt, okay, I am 29 years old. 
I have no children. Uh, this is the time for me to, you know, uh, fulfill my dream and do and do what I want to do. This is the time to take the risk. I had obviously gone to Mr. Hawila. I had drawn up a, a big business plan to try to make traffic go into sport, a uh, player representation. And uh, he looked at it. He was very nice. And he said, well, it's really well done, uh, but I don't want to do it. He just, you know, he just, yeah, he said, and, and you have to remember, he was, he was a sports journalist. So he had started, yeah. you know, commentating, standing up uh, behind the, the goalposts. That's so good. he had dealt with interviewing and he had, he had dealt in traveling with teams and being in relationship with players. And he said, look, I just don't, it's not my thing. I don't, I don't want to do it. I, I don't think it's something that, um, traffic as a company should do. Mm. And I just realized, well, well it's, if this is what I want to do and, and he doesn't want to do it, then I'm going to have to go out on my own. Right. And it was, it was a, it was a tough decision. And I had a conversation with him. I was shaking for like two days before I had the courage to go speak with him and tell him that I was going to quit. And, uh, you know, as always, he was really nice and supportive. And he said, well, you know what? I think you, 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 he was an entrepreneur himself. So he understood it. And he said, if, if this is your dream, if this is what you want to do, you should go out and try it and know that, you know, the doors here are going to be open for you. If, if it doesn't work out, then you just give me a call and you, you'll come back. And this was very nice of him. At the time, you never know if it's true. Later on, I did realize with, you know, all the relationship between me, him, his son, Stefano, and, you know, his entire family, I could see that it, he really meant what he was saying. Uh, but it, it was uh, reassuring because you kind of go and you, you can be more fearless because you know you have a, a backup plan. You have a parachute, right? If it, if it doesn't work, then I know I have uh, something else I can do. So yeah, that no, was really, and, and it, it is a big decision. Now let, let's talk a bit about it. You know the you know what you then did uh, during those sort of two years because interesting enough, and we, we can give a little uh, heads up already. You then sold the company back to uh, traffic exactly. and, and ended mm -hmm. up back in mm -hmm. traffic, right? Um, but before we get there uh, and then talk about your second round was traffic. Uh, let, let's you know tell us a bit about then you know being on your own and 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 now uh, you know having to write your own checks rather than getting it uh, yeah. you know every month. Uh, you know, let's talk about that, your entrepreneurial part to it. Yeah. No, it was very, it was very difficult. There were times when I, you know, that I, I felt that I might have, you know, taken the, too big of a step too soon. Uh, right. But I was very fortunate because, you know, my parents supported me. And obviously having, you know, uh, parents who are able to support you, not only in terms of motivation, but also financially is, is, is an asset. And sometimes you have to use that in life as well. Right. Um, so, uh, it was difficult and I went, uh, it took me 15 months to do my first deal. Oh, wow. So okay. we're talking about, you know, spending probably my life savings on, you know, right. and I was, and I actually moved from Sao Paulo to Rio, right. uh, in the time, because I, I realized it was, it was so difficult in the beginning that I said, well, maybe I go to Rio. It's, it sounded like an easier market. And then again, it's all about personal relationships. What happened was Kleber Leite, who had been my boss in traffic on the sponsorship side, he became the vice president of Flamengo. So Flamengo yeah. uh, went into a big crisis. He had been the president and the new president called him up and said, look, you have to come to save us from relegation. And he took that spot as the vice president in charge of football decisions. And that was my first deal. 
because you know they, I had worked with uh, I had worked with with uh, with him which, for a long which time. Which player did you trade? But it was it was it was a small player. Uh, his name is Clayton. So the, you know this is the thing that some deals in Brazil they're very relevant in Brazil, but outside of Brazil these these players yeah. sometimes are not yeah. very well announced. But yeah. it was it was a big relief, it, and it's actually the the invoice zero 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 one of my company was to Flamengo in a deal that I did with, with Kleber who had been my boss. And, and, but this was a player, I mean, he didn't do it because of me. This was a player, a lot of clubs uh, wanted in Brazil at the time. And then right afterwards in the same uh, transfer window, I did two players to Cruzeiro, which is a club in my hometown in Belo Horizonte, Mm -hmm. which was one of the clubs that Hicks Muse had invested in. So also with a president who I had known since, you know, seven years back because of that relationship between him and Higgs Mew. So then, and that's when you see, you know, because a lot of people hear this, the key personal relationship, and they think, oh, this is bullshit, you know, but, but it's not. It is. It yeah. really is. It really is because it, it's, uh, it's, it's the world of sports. There has to be a lot of trust involved. And, and this is why you need the right partners. You have to know the right people. And sometimes you, you do have to strike uh, – you know, regional deals, regional representations like Traffic did with, with uh, TSA and like TSA has done with, with uh, so many properties such as WWE. Because if you're not there, if you don't have the relationship with those people, you're not going to be able to do a deal just because you have a nice uh, PowerPoint presentation and, you know, sending emails and making conference calls. It's, it's just not going to happen. You just have to sit down, look the people in the eye. They have to know you. They have to, to know that you're going to deliver. They know, they have to know they're doing a, a, a good deal. They have to feel like they're doing a good deal, right? Yeah, so, no, totally. And, and yeah, exactly. And it, and it's and it, our industry, as big as it is, it is a small industry as well, right? I mean, everyone yeah, kind of at a senior level, you do know each other or know of each other, at least in some sense. And therefore, having those relationships and of course, having a good reputation is is always a very important key to the puzzle here. Now, you know, before we then you know come back into obviously the traffic part here, you know, you did a couple of you know, then I think after I guess you did a, your first few deals there in uh, in Brazil, you did do a few deals in with Europe, right? I think uh, exactly. seeing on yeah. your on your CV with you know yeah. everything from uh, Moscow clubs to uh, mm-hmm. you know others. So you know, talk a bit about that, you know, because it's uh, again, it's exciting all of a sudden to, to take a player from your hometown or home country overseas right yeah so this is you know you you're again my inspiration was jerry Maguire and was american sports and, and you look at you know how how it works representing players in the u.s and the draft system and all that and you right. go into football in brazil it's completely different yeah, yeah it's completely different because you're signing up these players when they're, when they're very young mm. you have very little leverage when negotiating their first contract because they're basically unknown teenagers Right. right. And, and it's such a uh, fragmented market. It's, you know, you, you, you're never really sure who's going to be the next big star. And yep. uh, so it's it's very difficult. And what I had to do, and obviously this is why my, my personal relationships were important in the beginning, because I was doing deals in Brazil, which were not, you know, deals that you remember the name of the players in the future. But this this was bringing in the cash to keep for going. me to to keep going and to invest in recruiting the young players who are the ones who will transfer to Europe, which is that's kind of the dynamic in Brazil. Mm. So, you know, it took a little longer, but we were, you know, I was then again very lucky because I had signed a uh, young striker from Atletico Mineiro, which is actually the club I'm a fan of and is the rival Cruzeiro. 
And uh, this player started uh, very young, actually, in his debut, he scored. He, he scored, I think, you know, two goals in his, in his first three matches for the first team. And uh, Atletico Mineiro was in a very bad financial situation, which is also very common in Brazilian football. Uh, and he was immediately sold to a small club in Holland called uh, Heraven, which was a uh, club I had never heard of before. Yeah. And uh, so that was my first uh, international deal. And then right afterwards, I had a client who I was able to sign. And he was al actually already uh, playing in Europe. He was playing in, in the Ukraine. And he was transferred from the Ukraine to Russia. And I was able to sit down with him when, when he was on vacation in Brazil and, you know, explain to him what my background was. And, you know, and, and, and it's very difficult when you're starting out, uh, Marcus, because, you know, you, you kind of have to sell yourself and you have to exaggerate, you know, not, not lie, but you have to exaggerate some things that, that you're able to do. And, and so I'm very thankful to these players in the beginning because they believed in me. They trusted me. And, you know, thankfully, I was able to deliver as well because, you know, you, you never know. And this is a part of the business and it's a business with low barriers of entry. And if if someone is a good salesman, they can they can convince a player that they're going to be able to do great things and then they don't deliver. And it's and it's sad because you it's uh, it's the career of a professional athlete, which has a lot of people Absolutely. you know behind him who, who depend on him. You know, because yeah, these, these players in Brazil, they come from very humble, you know, economic backgrounds. But it was tough. I'm a huge fan of Jerry Maguire, the movie as well. And the two favorite lines, and I'm just wondering whether your clients ever told them, they ask you that as well, is, of course, show me the money, right? which is <laughs> just an amazing, awesome scene mm -hmm. there. And, uh, and of course, and actually the, the other one is always the one where he goes, sh you know, um, help me help you. That's, right? yeah, as that's in, the one. You know, that's people the one. have to yeah. work together, right? It isn't just yeah. the age and making magic it's the player has to do his part too how much of those part of it you know is show me the money of course which every player would want you to do and then of course having the player also work with you how much you saw that already at that time and of course now where you've been doing a lot more in, in this space already well i think that's the thing show me the money is what the player tells you and yeah. help me help you is what you tell the players back right, right if you exactly. if you want to show me if you want me to show you the money then you have to help me help you so these yeah. are definitely some of the best quotes and they have guided my my professional life but uh so coming back to what really happens is the beginnings of the players in brazil they're you know they're not that it's not normal that a player will have this kind of attitude especially in the beginning i mean later on yeah they will you know because they have proved themselves but in the beginning again it's such a difficult i mean you're talking about we You know, we think about, you know, when we went to school and we, when we were young at high school or at college, you think about, you know, how difficult it is to become a medical, a medical doctor, you know, a, a brain surgeon. I mean, th these players, what they go through to become world class players is, is unbelievable. I mean, mm. the competition for it is huge. And, right. you know, it was before people thought, oh, well, it's it's all about the talent, right? It's either you have it or you don't have it. And definitely, as you're living it, you can see it's not the talent. I mean, I've seen, you know, many dozens of great, uh, talented athletes that have gone nowhere because it takes a lot of inner strength 
and discipline. Uh, and, and discipline. I mean, the work ethic, and you have to remember, I mean, where these, where these kids are coming from and what they go through. I mean, going, you know, moving away from home at a very young age, you know, and, and when, where they go to live, I mean, they're not going to a boarding school in Connecticut, uh, United yeah. States. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to these football facilities, which, you know, they're getting better. And it's, you know, it's, I'm not, I don't want to mean that it's like a, you know, that's like a prison, but it, it's tough. You know, you're talking about, you know, four, four kids, uh, bunkering in a room mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's difficult and it's very yeah. difficult for them. And, and for Especially us to when do they go, our job. And when they go overseas as well, right? I mean, they, they don't always land at, you know, you know, Barcelona or Madrid right away, right? They're yeah, landed also exactly. the places where exactly. similar, again, you are in a small little town in Germany and Holland and Belgium or wherever it maybe is in the world. Um, or even more exotic locations um, where mm-hmm. someone might have to start. They land here in Asia, some you know Brazilian players, and and that's tough, right? You're far away from home, totally different language, different you know food, and you name it. So uh, yeah. no, I I do appreciate that, and and, and I'd love to you know it's just on its own is such a great topic, uh, and maybe we'll talk, touch on it a bit later again. But I just wanted to sort of now get into the point where you know you're you as I said you're you've been running your agency now for a couple of years here. And all of a sudden, you uh, you're getting back into you know, or, or uh, traffic buys you again. What mm-hmm. was the trigger point? Was it all of a sudden saying Havila saying, "Hey, you know what, Fred? I think you better you know, come back here and, and let me buy you," or or what was it again? The trigger here. Yeah. So what happened was uh, after I left, uh, traffic had uh, they had uh, set up a football club in in the United States in Miami. Mm, uh, because right. uh, Traffic had bought back Inter Forever Sports from Hicks Muse, had rebranded it Traffic Sports USA, and they, you know, they were again running sports marketing, you know, especially buying from Concacaf the the rights for, you know, the Concacaf tournaments and the World Cup qualifiers in in, right. in Central America and the Caribbean. So they had a CEO there at, at the time, and and he wanted to go into. Uh, football players but he was what what he was looking at was uh tpo third party ownership right he thought this was a great market this is where you know because we traffic was a brazilian company could have a big advantage and he thought okay this is a world in which you know revenues are just going up and up and up and and this revenue eventually goes down to the clubs and the clubs have nowhere else to spend after they set up obviously their you know their infrastructure but they would just spend it on wages and on transfers yep. because mm-hmm. you know once you once you build a first class a training ground then what else is there to do you just buy players right you go the, yep. that's that's what where that's where that's where the money goes that's the flow of money so i said well yep. You know, we're in Brazil, we should take advantage of that. So, and he had a different vision also. He thought, you know, uh, football in the United States was going to develop much faster than it did, but it, you know, it's reaching what he imagined. But maybe, maybe we were too, maybe traffic was too early in this, in in the involvement and and in in the money that invested in the United States. But anyhow, so he started, traffic started with a club in in Miami which was Miami FC that actually signed up a Romario to go play in the United States uh right, right. you know once best player in the world and uh, a couple other players uh, Zinho who was part of the 1994 uh, World Cup squad uh, also went to play there and it was you know it was a Brazilian manager and uh, traffic also set up a youth academy in 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 Sao Paulo mm. 
to develop players, you know, that, to be that's sold. That's Ricardo to, de Silva's club now, right? Is that correct? It is Ricardo de Silva is actually a deal yeah. brokered by Jeff Slack. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> Ricardo de Silva buys it from traffic. Uh, okay. uh, and, and Jeff was in that deal. And Aaron Davidson, who worked with us yeah, in the right. Miller Sports yeah. Group as well, was was in charge of, of Miami. So that was, you know, it was people, <laughs> it was all... Uh, People who knew each other for, for a long time uh, doing that. Too. But anyway, but, yeah, so let's come back to exactly how you get back into the traffic fold here. Uh, yeah, so they had a youth academy there. and they uh, and then traffic sets up a player fund because mm. once you have a youth academy, you have a club who's registered in the federation. So you can actually hold the rights for the players. And then what traffic started doing was they would buy a player from club A, register this player in traffic's own club and then loan him to a first division club where the player would right. play and showcase his you know his skills and then after six months or one year or two years this player would be sold to europe and traffic would make the profit in the in the you know between the buying and the selling and would and and the club that had the player on loan would would have a percentage of the profit yeah. That was the okay. that was the business that model. Is, and then, that's the that's the third party ownership model, really, right? In a nutshell. Exactly, exactly. Right. Which now is not allowed anymore. So, Correct. but this was back it, then. Yeah. yeah. So okay. back then, it was allowed, and right. and and traffic was the biggest player in Brazil doing this. So, right. got it. What how it started was they started asking me for advice. So I actually signed up as a consultant uh, mm. to. You know, are they doing the right? Are, you know, are they are they getting the better end of the deals? Because they, you know, they obviously they had the network and they had the money, but it was a new world for traffic. Traffic right. as a company, they were very successful in you know in buying and selling TV rights and sponsorship rights and other things, but never football players. Hmm. So they signed me up as a, as a consultant, and at the time I had already you know done. Uh, I was doing well and I was growing, so I had my own office in Rio, and traffic did not have an office in Rio. So also traffic was interested in, you know, okay, so you sign up as a consultant and, you know, our people can use your office in Rio and they go to Rio for some deals. And that's how it started. And because of the personal connection that I had with uh, not only Mr. Havila, but also, you know, Stefano, who's been a dear friend yeah. for over 20 years and, and, and all of his family, there was a lot of trust. And he invited me to go back to to traffic first as an executive he said, well, why don't you, you know, come back? And I said, well, I can't go back because I have a company and I had a partner at the time. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, and I have my partner. And so I can't really leave. I'm not going to give him, you know, my 50%. It's, you know, it'd be unfair. We're doing this together. I had been doing it for, you know, about uh, two and a half years at the time. And I said, but what you can do is you can buy my company. So it was actually, I, I was the one who gave them the idea, said, well, we'll sell you a stake. Obviously, I, I spoke with my partner before. Yeah. We'll sell you a controlling stake and we'll keep on as, as minority, minority partners um, and we'll run the business. And obviously, part of it is the consulting will be for free, right? Because we're part of the, we're part of the traffic group. The company, right? Yeah. So that's how it, that's how it, that's how it happened. So they actually, mm -hmm. they actually bought and it was great for us. It was great for our company. So, and, and then we rebranded the company traffic talentos, which had been, you know, four or five years before that the division for trying to bring sponsors to the players. So it all kind of connected yeah, it and, and it, and it made sense. 
And we, so we were a separate company because we had a separate ownership structure, but we were within the group and we started being the, the brokers for all the players that traffic would buy and the traffic would sell. And right. that obviously became a much bigger business than representing the players mm-hmm. because yeah, we, had so mu- we had so much uh, stock <laughs> of players to sell that we, could, we had actually to stop signing players to represent them because we didn't have time to, to represent the players because we were busy you know, traveling all over Europe and all over Brazil buying and selling these players. And this was great because it gave you know, me a huge track record and relationship with you know, all the Brazilian clubs, obviously, all the clubs abroad, agents abroad, uh, Brazilian agents. So we, and because traffic was, was the biggest buyer, biggest seller, it, you know, suddenly I go from being, you know, a small agent who's, you know, up and coming, but small. And then suddenly you become, you know, a big time. A, a, yeah, exactly. A big boy in the market in which, you know, people are lining up to coming to see you and they, they're whining and dining you. So it was, it was a good experience. And it was it was and it made sense uh, for everyone because traffic made they saved a lot of money uh, because. When we were buying the players, we were able to save the money and we were able to sell these players to big, big clubs. And we did uh, deals with Barcelona, Liverpool, Hoffenheim. I mean, you name it, which all the leagues in in Europe, you know, abroad, you know, China, uh, Japan, Guangzhou Evergrande, who's become the biggest club in in Asia. We did a deal with them. They were still in second division. They were still Mm. in, in, in the second league in China. We did a deal with them. Did, you so, know, I know, obviously, this is sort of, you know, literally the last almost, let's say, until recently, 2019, you were there, the, the, the CEO of football, the football division. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was already during the time when China went completely crazy, right, for a few years yeah. here where they yeah. bought everything which could move. Um, do you yeah. guys have any one of the, the big deals there uh, which you could talk about? We did Conca, Dario Conca, which was the Argentinian who played for Fluminense. Okay. Uh, and he was sold to Guangzhou, and we had a percentage of his uh, transfer rights at, at Fluminense, and we brokered that deal together with there's, there's one agent in Brazil who was really the biggest agent for the for the Chinese market. His name is Joseph Lee, uh, mm-hmm. and so you know Joseph Lee had the buyer, and obviously we controlled the seller Fluminense, and we right. did that deal. And that was the time when Conca went over to China, and his salary was. The biggest salary in the world at the time was $12 million. It was $1 million net per month. And this was more than Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo at the time. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you were much closer to this than I was. But, of course, we were following it. And, and funny enough, you know, you, you always think, God, that's the time to get into it. And we sort of actually stuck our nose a bit in it. We never got anywhere with it. But uh, it is, uh, it's, it's a fascinating space. Obviously, it's all completely dried up and it's going the, the, the other way. And unfortunately, yeah, very much the yeah. wrong way right now in Chinese football there, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, that's interesting. Now, what, what I wanted to talk a bit about, um, and, and, you know, obviously it's easy to see now what you're doing there and, and, and how that leads to what we're talking about later, what you're do, you know, doing with your own agency again. But before we leave traffic, I, I do want to touch a little bit on what happened, right? And, and again, anyone mm-hmm. in the industry has been long enough around and or follows uh, FIFA football and, and of course what happened there in South America would know what I'm referring to here. And that is unfortunately how traffic then got, you know, very much into a scandal and sucked into mm-hmm. a whole bunch of bad things. And, and, you know, and, 
as much as you weren't directly involved in it, but obviously you were, you know, on, on the sideline of this, watching it, I guess, in some degree. And I'd love to hear a little bit, you know, on, on your, you know, what you can share on that because it's just such a crazy story. And, and as usual, a lot of it has been written about, but it's always good to hear really what happened inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, it was very strange living it because. Uh, obviously, looking in retrospect, you, you, you can see a lot of, of strange things were happening. But as you said, because all of this had nothing to do with the part of the business that I was running, I was, you know, sometimes yeah. I just said, you know, you, you just go, I have so much on my plate right now, I just have to get this deal done. And you're just doing what you have to do, right? Yeah, Until yeah, something official hits. And, and I mean, internally, for us, it was very strange, because it was 2013, Mr. Hawila had, there were news that he had bought a, uh, an apartment in Miami uh, and he was going there on a, on a vacation. He was going to visit uh, the apartment that he bought and he didn't return now. And in the beginning, you know, kind of no one knew about it and, except for, you know, his family, because obviously when you do a deal with the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice, you, you, may, you can imagine how serious that is. So really yeah. no one, no one, no one can know. And that was, you know, yeah, that was yeah. a hell. I, I don't even know if all the, his family members knew, or maybe only uh, Stefano at the time and his, and his uh, attorney. Um, so, but, but it was strange. And, you know, you could feel that something was off. But now, much easier now knowing that actually something happened, right? I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. in your life, uh, some stuff happens and you think, well, that's strange. And then, you know, the next day you see there was nothing strange about it and you don't think about it anymore. Right. But then, yeah, yeah. When something happens, you, you, you think, well, I, you know, I should have realized what was going on. Not that I had, uh, you know, not that I could do anything about it, but it was just, you know, it was, it was, it was strange. And the whole, the official story was he had that depression and he was mm -hmm. of, afraid of getting on the plane to come back to Brazil. And he just, you know, and it was strange because he wasn't there. You couldn't speak with him. Then again, at this time already, Stefano was kind of running the football part of it as he was kind of becoming the CEO of the company. So mm -hmm. I didn't have the, you know, it wasn't normal for me to, uh, to have business meetings or, you know, have to report uh, stuff to Mr. Hawila. So, I mean, I, I, you know, we'd, I'd obviously see him in the offices every day and go out to lunch when he was around and all this. But, you know, he just wasn't there. So I, we didn't have a custom of reporting once a week or once a month or anything. We just would uh, speak with think. Stefano. And I was, yeah, and I was running the show. I mean, I, I really had a lot of freedom in, in, in doing what I had to do. So, and just just time went on and on and on. And the, the depression kind of became, oh, it's retirement and it's and it's this and that. And then I think after the World Cup is when people started gossiping about. So it took over a year for you to mm -hmm. actually hear a version of something that might have happened. Uh, we were basically in the dark and really focused on day to day work during this time. And, and, now, and then, refresh my memory then, you know, what was the sort of outcome and, and which then also really uh, unraveled part of the company, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, just talk us through that uh, to, to refresh everyone's memory. Yeah, so the company was set up in a structure in which all the uh, acquisitions of these, the, these relationships with the federations were run by uh, Mr. Hawila himself. So... Uh, he did not involve other people in, in the company. Uh, and what we had was a 
uh, TV sales department, uh, which was later on run by uh, Johann Lush, your uh, compatriot, yeah. German. Uh, and there was a, s- a sponsorship sales division. And then there was the football division, which I was running, which was separate because it had nothing to do with these events anymore. I mean, I had worked with them. I understood them. I would go just because, you know, there were players there from the national team and there was some networking to do. So I, w- I would go. But as an as a guest of the company, I had uh, I had free access to everywhere. But I wasn't in the selling, in the managing. You know, I wasn't participating in the day to day. So really nothing changed because he did not, because he was in charge of the buying alone. I mean, you know, these events uh, kept uh, happening and the sales kept uh, going on and, and, and no one really knew what happened until the, that day in, in Zurich in which, you know, all the, a lot of the presidents of federations were arrested and there was a big scandal and uh and then the news came out there was a there was a press conference and in the press conference obviously then it was revealed that uh mr hawila had uh was a witness cooperating with the u.s department of justice so that's when it and it was surprising and i was traveling that day so it was funny because i I was i was i was about to get on a plane to go to rio and uh i just downloaded uh that there was a pdf of the indictment and I was able to download the PDF of the indictment before my flight. And I spent probably the next, you know, not only the next hour flying to Rio, but the next, you know, 24 to 48 hours reading all about it. And, you know, obviously knowing uh, a lot of the people who were mentioned in, in the indictment, but not, you know, being uh, really knowledgeable about, you know, how those things really worked, because I was always on the sell side. Of, you know, when I was working with TV and I was working with sponsorship, it's like, okay, we, now we have this property, go out and sell it, like go out and develop it. You know, this was, I wasn't part of, you know, going to the Federation and, uh, you know, I, I did go to Asuncion Paraguay many times, but it was be- exactly because I was in the selling side, you know, I'd take the sponsors there, yeah, sit down with the people, but working, not cutting in, the deals on the back end of it. Exactly. Right? Not, not cutting sure. the deals, you know, and, and thankfully. Right? Cause, yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, again, it's it's obviously a, you know, a lot of it has been written about it, um, and it's it's blown up, and we can probably do another entire podcast on it. But keeping a bit yeah. of uh, track of our time here, we won't go into detail of it. But uh, you know, never as I said anyone who hasn't read about it or seen about it, you should Google it. It's it's obviously an amazing um, story, you know, in many ways of what happened there, and and therefore of how. Really, it shook up the whole world of South American football and football in, in many other parts of the world, including yeah, but, you know, but, but, but all the way to FIFA. But I'll tell you what saddens me about it is I, I think uh, Mr. Hawila is, is they, they see him as a villain in which, in my mind, he's really a victim of what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Now you can say, well, he's a victim that profited from all this. But then you have to, you know, you have to go back and. And, and question yourself, and you can and you can actually read the indictment, and you and you read the story that is corroborated by everyone. This is not something that it, it didn't start that way. I mean, it's someone who was doing business the right proper way, and then he's kind of you know he's put in a room and you say, okay, now you either do it this way or we're not doing this with you anymore. We're going we're, we're going with someone else. Right. And then when you think about who were the someone else's, you can see, okay, this is an industry wide way of doing business. Mm-hmm. It's not you know something that is done only in South and Central America. This is something that and you've seen the stories. I mean, all over the world. I mean, you just see the story about. Uh, about uh, Beckenbauer, 
right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, oh, yeah, and, I mean, and, and all of them, and even the other ripples you know, going other, around the world. Yeah, and the and the ISL scandal, and you know, yeah. and you think about you know ISL as the you know the 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 great people, they're very competent. Oh wow, it's unbelievable what they did, and you know they were involved in a scandal as well. Now here, I feel that. You know, unfairly, there's another part of it in which they're not seeing, okay, everything that was good that, that, that traffic did for the development of football. They just, you know, they're focusing on the, on the wrong part of it, which is, oh, now I understand how he got the rights, right? Yeah. But you have to understand that it's the bids happened anyway. I mean, yeah. he was competing with IMG for these bids. He was competing with Sport 5. He was competing. So all these guys are competing on the bid. It was just a question – the, the bid was done. Then there was a question of, you know, where are the payments going? That's after the bid. It's not before the bid. So, yeah, yeah. and it actually, when you think about it, you can see that part of what happened is the effect because in 2011, Comebol took away the rights from traffic after the 2011 Copa America in Argentina. And traffic sued Comebol in uh, Miami because the jurisdiction was U.S. And, right. you know... We, Again, I don't know the details, but, you know, you can kind of think, okay, so that kind of started the whole process, right? Because if there's a lawsuit, then you, you, they, you start having information in, in the United States. So, you know, they took it away from traffic because obviously, you know, traffic was not, you know, this villain uh, that people like to think that it was. And, you know, this was happening everywhere. It was happening in Asia. It was happening in Europe. And I, what saddens me is I see a lot of people and a lot of, you know, former colleagues of mine who, you know, they kind of try to erase traffic from their CV. And uh, look, it's yeah. it, it makes no I, sense because you, you were there. You knew you knew what was happening. You knew it wasn't it wasn't like some people, you know, want to want to think that it is. And there's you know, there was the there was a series on Amazon Prime that had the, a wrong uh, depiction of Mr. Howell as well. So, you know, it's oh, really? it's very oh, okay. sad. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so traffic is now, as from a sporting point of view, is completely gone, is it, or or is it yeah, still traffic something did, left? Traffic. So what happened was traffic did not exist. What happened was after 2015. Um, so part of the deal uh, with the U.S. Department of Justice was that Mr. Hawila had to get out of you know uh, his business of sports marketing, and okay. the proceeds of these sales were to go there, there was a deal that that he broke so there was a, there was a, a fine that he had to pay and obviously the proceeds of everything that he sold had to go to the to the, uh, as part of this fine now i don't i don't know the details because again it wasn't it wasn't my part of of the business you know and and then it, it reaches a point in which you don't really want to get involved as well i mean if you're not asked yeah. to be involved you, you know you say okay let me yeah, just yeah. you know is my business continuing as normal? No, no. Your business is continuing as normal. So the, a lot of the pressure was on the rights. So traffic had to right. give up the rights, had to sell the, the rights. rights. Trading business. Uh, but obviously, as a consequence of this and everything that had happened, um, he started or his family started selling all the sports rights. Uh, and we sold the club in Brazil, which you know had started as a youth academy back in in 2006, sold it to actually a Chinese company who bought it, you know, here because oh, they right. wanted to have a they wanted to have a grassroots uh, program mm -hmm. in, in in Brazil. Right. Uh, we the the team in the in the U.S. was sold. But by that time, traffic did not have only Miami FC, but you know, Miami FC had turned into Fort Lauderdale Strikers, and 
Traffic was a big shareholder in the USL. So Traffic mm-hmm. and controlled other clubs in the US. So, you know, Traffic sold all of that and got out of that. And then the last asset that was sold was Estoril. Because, you know, part of the platform back there, we didn't have time to speak about it, was a club in Portugal right. uh, okay. that Traffic had purchased, which was Estoril Praia in the right, right. great town of Estoril, right outside Lisbon, where the Formula One track uh, used to be. Mm. Uh, so it's well known to a lot of Brazilians because Ayrton Senna used to run, uh, race very well there. Yeah. Uh, and we had bought that club and it was extremely successful because we took it from second division to first division and to play European competition. And it was used as a platform for a lot of great players who today play for big clubs in Europe and who play for yeah. the Brazil national team, who first yeah, went to, to, Europe to Europe to play mm-hmm. in Estoril and then from Estoril went on to, to bigger clubs. Well, so that was sold. And then in 2018, 2018 yeah, Mr. Havila yeah. passed away. So right, right. he was finally able to... Uh, it's a very uh, romantic story in a way. So he was, you know, after some years in the United States, he was finally, uh, you know, everything was settled and he was allowed to come back to Brazil. Uh, he actually, his, he, 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 he went to his daughter's uh, wedding. He actually walked her down the aisle. He was already very sick because he had uh, cancer and he had some uh, uh, heart diseases at the time. Right? So he was, he was in poor health, but he was able to move back to Brazil. He was able to walk his daughter down the aisle uh, before he passed away so Mm -hmm. it was it was it was good because he was finally reunited with you know obviously he was with his family you know all the time because they were you know they were going to the united states but he was not he was he was living there for many years and he was finally able to come back passed away and that's when really i sat down with uh, stefano and said look this is a business who was my business to begin with it was something that you know your father didn't even want to do 10 years ago and it was part of a bigger platform. Now this bigger platform doesn't exist anymore. We had just sold uh, Estrail to uh, American investors. So I think it's time for you know for me to uh, buy you out of the business. Right. And I put together my four main agents who all have worked uh, with me and the company for over uh, ten years. And we actually did a management buyout okay. of TFM Agency because then right. you know we had we had rebranded to TFM Agency at the time. So we bought them out, and we became an independent uh, agency. And and then here we are. That's where we are. Here now. we are. Yeah, yeah I love exactly. it. Uh, and, and and you know it all makes sense, and and there's a, there's a really nice little flow to it. Uh, which uh, is great. I love that part. Uh, now, you know, while we sort of slowly wrapping this up here, um, you know, any, tell us a bit about, you know, besides obviously that you are still in the player trading, but, you know, maybe have a couple of names you guys are currently representing or, or anything interesting you're doing before I want to have sort of a final conversation about the Brazilian football market, and you know, during COVID and, and also post. So, uh, but let's just have a quick one on, you know, what it is exactly um, outside of, I guess, the continuation of what we just talked about for the last hour, uh, what you're doing at TFM. Um, is there anything else or, a, you know, some names you want to throw out, which you're working on right now? Well, our business model is we've, you know, as an agency, we've really focused on the young players because we see them as the players who are going to go to the big clubs in Europe. And, and we, we started this right after while we were still in the, in the traffic group, but right after uh, TPO was forbidden by, by FIFA. So we saw, mm-hmm. okay, so we're not, you know, as I, as I had told you, 
before we weren't, you know, we weren't really representing a lot of players because we were too busy brokering deals. Right. And say, well, okay, now we're not going to have, you know, we kept Estoril, which was a good platform. It, it wasn't TPO. It was, you know, us running a club uh, and, and buying and selling players for that club. So it wasn't just, you know, you, 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 you have to have the player play for you. You're not just looking at their potential. You have to right. think about right. the sporting side as well. Right. And, and we thought, okay, so now we have a lot of free, you know, brain power to, mm-hmm. to say, okay, let's figure out what are we going to do. And it was 2014, and we decided, okay, so we, if we want to have the next uh, Neymars of Brazil, yep. we have to sign them very young. Because by the time these players are 17, 18 years old, they're gone. They already have their agents. you know. Right. And, and there's two ways, because it's a very fragmented market. You either team up with the player's agent, if mm-hmm. it's a smaller agent, or you can sign the player directly. So there's, all, there's also a parallel market uh, kind of speak in which the big agents are trying to lure the smaller agents to say, okay, right. if you have a great talent, team up with me, right? Mm-hmm. So you you're competing with these these small agents, but when these small agents get the player, then you can you can you have a second you, you, you have a, a second chance, which is try to yeah. bring the partner in. Uh, yeah, and we were very lucky because when we started this in 2014, we were able to sign a young prospect in Vinicius Junior who was the top uh, uh, player 2000 in Brazil. Now, when we say player 2000, it means that's the year of birth. So that's how you uh, kind of right. know the generation of the player. It's like, so, you know, so when you think in American 20, sports, yeah. you say that player is a freshman or sophomore or senior, you know, it's, you, you kind of put them in classes. So he's sure. he was the top 2000 player in Brazil. We signed him right. at a year at a very young age. He was 14 years at, uh, old at the time. And it kind of changed the history of our agency because in 2017, he had not turned 17 yet. He was still 16. Uh, Real Madrid came and and made it for him. And Barcelona was also interested. And that was, you know, obviously the greatest deal of my life uh, because it ended up being uh, the biggest transfer in the history of Brazilian football. And it was for a player 16 years old who had never played one professional game. For the first team wow. of Flamengo. And, sorry, what is his name? I'm not sure if I caught that. Or Vinicius, Vinicius Junior. Right. Okay, Junior. Right. Got it. Yeah. So now he's, he's Vinny, Vinny Junior. Now, now we've rebranded him in Real Madrid, Vinny Junior. So, right, and okay. he is now he's been playing for Real Madrid now for three years. He's the uh, I think the third youngest player to play 100 games for Real Madrid. So. Wow. He, he's becoming, you know, he's flourishing. He's having a great career. He's, you know, an extremely charismatic character. He has a YouTube channel with over 1 million uh, subscribers. His Instagram has over 12 million. I mean, he's unbelievable. He's played for the Brazil national team. He's and he's only 20 years old. Yeah, um, I love it. So, yeah, bright future ahead there. What, what, uh, yeah. where does he, he plays what position? He's, he's a left wing. So he right. was. He was supposed to come in as the understudy of Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay. Uh, and then what happened was the summer that he arrived, uh, uh, Real Madrid sold Cristiano to Juventus for other reasons, right. not because right. he was arriving. <laughs> sure, sure. And, uh, and then the next season, uh, Real Madrid signed uh, Eden Hazard from Chelsea. Right. Yeah. So he is the backup of Eden Hazard for Real Madrid. Now the problem is Hazard has been injured for, for such a long time that he's been having a lot of minutes and a lot of games and, and, and it's been a, a great story. 
good for him. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, like I said, we, we could go on forever here, but I, I'm a little bit conscious also of our time here and, and I don't want to uh, keep it that long here. But now, if you look at, you know, football, and, and we've, I think we already discussed it enough now that, uh, you know, how much talent is coming out of Brazil. And, and to me, it's, it's a typical example of a country where, you know, you still have a, you know, reasonable poor part of the country or, you know, poor neighborhoods there. And these kids, that's their way out, right? That is their, they know, mm-hmm. they've seen it, they have enough role models out there to see that if I play good football or if I, you know, if I have some talent or if I work hard enough, there is a way out and I can make a living and, you know, my family and everything else with it comes up. Uh, that's the easy part to see. And it's, it's for sure. Uh, a no-brainer. At the same time, of course, local football has constantly challenges, as you already alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. right? The clubs mm-hmm. are constantly in trouble. Um, the best players are always being sold. And, and even though the potential is there, A, it's a big country, right? It's not Brazil is a small place. Um, but it has never really taken off. Now, now you add COVID on top of it, and we got this. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, again, only watching what I read, of course, in the papers, and Brazil was obviously very hard hit by COVID. Uh, with a lot of many deaths and, and a big mess there, and I'm sure it had a, again a huge impact on the on the football industry on on God knows how many levels, right? So just just spend a little bit of time on a, what what has been what has been happening. Let's call it the last 12 months in Brazilian sports slash football. Before I want to go into where the opportunities are for you know private equity or investors to maybe come in now, where clearly again there will be plenty of distressed assets, right? Yeah, I'm very skeptical about, you know, Brazilian football as an industry. Uh, Obviously, you know, I'm very bullish on the players because of the culture of the country and because of, you know, it's it's in the blood, you know, (laughs) it's in the blood. Yes. And they're playing on the streets, you know, since they're three years old. So obviously the great players will come out of here. Now, it is in terms of when when you think about the structure of the football, there, there, there is one problem, which is one uh, South America is, I think, in my view, and, and I, you know, having lived in the United States and, you know, traveling all over the world, it's a very isolated place, Marcus. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it from, you know, if you want to fly to South America, it's, it's a pain for everyone to way. fly over, right? It's, yep. it's, and, and I'm talking everywhere. It's not, you know, from Europe, from, from America. Uh, and it's a very poor region. So it's not only it's not only Brazil has been struggling and has had its ups and downs, but it, but the region as a whole is poor, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes it uh, and, and and the thinking of the people is, is they're not very innovative. You know, I used to joke if Bill Gates were Brazilian, there would be no Microsoft. You know, <laughs> it's a difficult place to be in, and the football industry in special. It has one problem, which which is these are social clubs. So these are not well-managed companies. Now, Mm. it's much better now than 20 years ago because now you have professionals running the the clubs. But still, the political overview of these professionals makes it sometimes that even if these guys are professionals, they only keep their job if they keep the political people happy in the clubs. Okay. And they only keep the political people happy in the clubs if the fans – and these guys are worried about the fans and the media and the club members. So when I say right. political, it's not in terms of government. It's, it's because yeah. each of these clubs, the they have their internal politics, so, so they're elected members, right? So yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's a little bit when you think about it, it's, it's a little bit like the, the, the history of sports business, right? You have all these federations in Europe and you have all these sports marketing firms – 
uh, buying these rights from the federations, right? And you have to think about it. Okay, why don't these federations, uh, why don't they develop the rights? Well, it's because it's not their job to develop. They're, they're worried about the sport, right? right. Yeah, so, it's, so it's the same here. I mean, they're not worried. When you go talk to the Liverpool CEO, he talks about Fortnite being a competitor of Liverpool. Yes. When you talk, when you go speak with the president of a club in Brazil, they're thinking about the swimming pool that they have to uh, <laughs> do over. You know, okay. they have to, they're thinking about the, the painting the walls of the club. Wow. And they give the, the day-to-day management of the football operations to professionals. But then again, they're lacking a macro overview of where the business is going and what they should do. Because what then, what, then in turn, what these guys are worried about is the sporting result. Mm. Because that's what the elected directors of the club are worried about because they want to keep their members happy. And how, how do they keep their members happy? If the club is in good shape for people to go play tennis in the weekend and if the team is having you know good results. So right, right. if you think about it, it's messed up from the top. I mean, how, mm. can, how can this be successful? If right. you, just the drivers are wrong, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, they, they're not these thinking. Club, sorry, are most of these clubs also involved in other sports? So it's not just a football club. So they have well, club and that's the thing. Or, or I mean, is, that, yeah, is that the structure? I mean, normally? Brazil is in Brazil. Football is the number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten sports. So, Correct. you know, they might have other sports, but they're not really relevant. I mean, the, there is interest in the Olympics. You know, think about the, the Brazilian volleyball right. team, but they're not. You know, you don't have. You know, like Flamengo has a big. Like they have the big. The, their basketball team's really good. I think they were winners, or they compete very well in South for the South American championship. And but it's not these. These are clubs who are focused in football. This is the big thing. This is the main thing. And what happens many times is the football is profitable, but then they have to pay for the management of the social club, and then they lose money. And and it's become and and these elected directors, they're in for two or three year terms. So right. they're not, they have no interest in long-term strategy, mm-hmm. no interest at all. The one club who had one administration and changed that was Flamengo because Flamengo, after many years of, you know, suffering with, you know, being the biggest club in, in Brazil, probably the biggest club in South America. And they had, they had a, a huge uh, economic um, uh, problems and they were able to elect one president who said, look, for the next three to six years, it was a three-year term, so he had to be re-elected to have the full six. I will uh, sacrifice the sporting results to make the club right for the future. And, you know, it's the club that's been dominating Brazilian football for the last two years, which is right after he left. Right. And it's funny because I see a lot of – and the new president was also part of this group that elected the first president. But, you know, a lot of, you know, fans and even people in the business say, well, this president is much better than the one before. And say, well, but this president can only do what he's doing because the one before was, you know, cleaned up the club. Correct. So it was one club who did it, but I don't know. And it and it's you know many times it's mentioned by other clubs when they when there are presidential elections and they say, well, we have to go through the process of Flamengo. That's going to be the benchmark. Blah 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 blah. But then when they're elected, it doesn't happen because then the day to day you know, problems and, and, and short-term solutions are apparently what, what they focus on. So it's a very difficult world. And what you see now, uh, Red Bull uh, bought a club in Brazil, and they are, they, they're already in first division. And they're, they're, they were very successful last season, and I'm very bullish on, on them. Right, okay. uh, there, was, there was a smaller club who is also a company that was promoted this year, 
it's, but it's it's very difficult because uh, you can never know what's going to happen, and they don't see. And there, there's this whole idea, right? That oh, if you brought back all the Brazilian players who play abroad, if you bring them back to Brazil, we would have the best league in the world. In the world, right? Uh, if course. Neymar was playing here, if, yeah, hypothetically. But the problem is, if they were playing here, they would not be the brands that they are because they are only the brands that they are because they play for Real Madrid and Barcelona Correct. and Paris Saint Germain and Manchester United. So. It's it's a bit of yeah, the, the logic it's a makes flawed sense. it's a flawed logic in, in, you know, in, in my view so uh, it's, I, I, it's, I think it, and it would make no sense either because the money isn't in the market either right the players couldn't never make the same amount of money um, and clearly exactly. you know if you trigger all down you know the economic impact still of the players even if he plays overseas a lot of money would I'm sure land in Brazil with family and, and, and investments or things he does there. So I, you know, that is a, yeah, absolutely. I think that that makes no sense uh, thinking, even thinking that way. Now keeping, uh, you know, the, the Brazil is not, never lacks, uh, you know, talent. That's for sure. Right. And, mm -hmm. and therefore in theory, you should have plenty of talent there. At the same time, you got to accept the fact the best basketball players will land in the NBA, right? No matter how great, you know, of a club they may be playing in Europe or wherever part of the world, they will go to the NBA. And and so you got to accept the fact when it comes to football is they will. And you still, Europe. and you still have a good EuroLeague, right? For basketball. So that's, I yeah, mean, that's exactly. what they, that's what they should focus on. What, what I think the view here is they're trying to go against the system in which they should actually embrace the system. They should mm -hmm. actually say, okay, so this is the way the money's flowing. This yeah. is what, this is how I can finance myself. Okay. Let me sell the young talent and let me focus on the older talent because obviously it's, uh, you know, people are passionate about football in Brazil. That's, it's all they talk about. They don't really yeah. care. You know, there's a, there's a certain point in which you say, okay, you know, Paris Saint-Germain eliminated Barcelona last night. You know, people don't care about that. They're thinking about what's happening here, right? In the yeah, uh, local home. football is always going to be the so, first. Exactly. So that's, yeah. so that's key. And I think they're too worried about the perception outside of Brazil. So, you know, a lot of times they say, oh, we have to globalize the brand. We have to think about the TV distribution. And my view is it, no, just, just get your stuff straight here before you try to move Outside, because you're losing so much potential here. I mean, you go on the weekends, and I see my son and, and his friends, and they're all wearing jerseys of international clubs. Yeah, of course. You know, and they're playing, yeah. and they're playing but, but, Fortnite, and they're yeah. doing it, other activities. So they should worry about the Brazilian market. Think about Brazil. Think about how you do the, you know, the best entertainment possible here. You know, draw up a, a 10, 20 year plan. You know, let's help each other. The, the club should sit down on the table and they should and, and they're not. They're they're actually trying to, you know, beat someone else. So Flamengo now what they're doing is because they're so successful. They want to step on everyone's head. They actually they lobby to change the law of T V rights because they just right. wanna be they, they just they, they, they wanna become yeah. kind of the Bayern Munich. They're not interested right. in setting up the NBA. They wanna be the Bayern Munich of Brazil. So they want to be, they want to win eight out of 10, but that's because the president was elected by members and these members, they don't want the NBA. They want Flamengo to be the biggest club in Brazil, bar none. Uh, uh, so very selfish. And even Bayern Munich, if you think of it as, as successful as they are, and you could argue in some cases using that leverage, uh, they're still sharing the pie in, in Germany actually fairly equally, right? I mean, they, uh, it's not like these, they, they make so much more money than the others on the local light. You know, they, they make more money because of who they are as a club. 
Um, you know, and you could argue by you know many times players of the other teams. But uh, you know, it's so there are there are, exactly. I think there are ways to balance that. You know, and and of course the UK has done a pretty good job. And even you think of Spain, who we've always had the two big clubs there. But you know, you do have others who nibble on their heels on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that is what football needs. So now, look, this has been a great and, and very colorful conversation here. Everything from how you started to, of course. Uh, you know, you're, you're almost 15 years there was traffic and, and now being back on your own uh, and doing things what you love doing, being that Jerry Maguire of Brazilian football, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, it's a compliment to you here. Um, Thank you. And, you know, and everything else uh, which we touched on. So, Fred, this was fun. Uh, we could talk forever here because it's such a fascinating market. It's such a fascinating industry. And, the player trading and, and the talent coming out of Brazil is just never ending. So hopefully we'll have a chance to talk some more soon here. But I think for today, uh, we'll uh, we'll stop right here. And thank you for your time there. And have a great day in Sao Paulo. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we love it. That's why we do it, right? So Exactly. Uh, thank you. And let's keep in touch, Marcus. Definitely. Thanks, buddy. Talk soon. Cheers. Cheers. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Luer Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Luer. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.